The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber and recorded at Dolphin Image Studios in Winter Haven. At Dolphin Image Studios, we are a full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, a psych wall, an LED wall, a podcast studio, and a massive eight acre backlot for all of your filming needs. To find us, go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios or find us on Instagram at Dolphin Image Studios. I'm loving it. I bet just singing those jingles, you can name the restaurant. Well, what you may not know is that several of our Winter Haven McDonald's are operated by Gary and Kim Moulton and have been since 1985. We are excited to welcome Gary to the podcast today to learn more about his entrepreneurial journey. We also welcome Advent Health's Dr. Todd Procknow, an orthopedic surgeon who gives advice on an array of musculoskeletal issues, including shoulder issues, carpal tunnel, arthritis, and more. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors who believe in advancing commerce and community in Winter Haven. Citizens Bank and Trust, we've been your hometown full-service financial institution right here in your backyard since 1920. Now in our third generation of family ownership, we've served the Polk County community for over 100 years. No matter your needs, we have the right financial solutions for you. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we've got you covered, from secure checking and personal savings plans to a wide range of personal, mortgage, and business loans. Additionally, we offer a highly experienced group of trust and private banking professionals located right here in Polk County. It takes just one visit to one of our 14 convenient locations to experience what makes our bank special and why we invite you to give us a try. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we're proud to be your bank. Citizens-Bank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Gary Moulton has been involved with McDonald's for over 50 years, and he and his wife Kim have owned and operated what I lovingly call the One Arch McDonald's on the corner of US 17 and Avenue D Northwest for over three decades. They've witnessed so many changes to the industry over the years, and I think you'll enjoy hearing about the lessons they've learned. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Thanks, Katie. Great, great to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you here. And I think um, I'm excited to share your story because a lot of people, they know about McDonald's, they but they don't understand how people come to own McDonald's and really the impact that that can have on a community. So I want to start with sharing a little bit about yourself. You know, how'd you come to Winter Haven? And how'd you come to own McDonald's? Awesome. Well, um, I, as a college kid, I needed a part-time job. They really needed a part-time job. <laughs> and uh, when McDonald's was building a uh, restaurant between where I lived and my university, and they offered a dollar and 25 cents an hour, how can you resist that? You know, So <laughs> I jumped right in. And uh, actually, I, I, I loved it right away. I loved working with the people and so forth. And it was a terrific opportunity. Did you do everything at that McDonald's? You did cashier and line cook and all that. Did it all. Did it all, and uh, and and that's one of the things that we think in the long run has been so important to us because we never ask anybody to do anything that we have not done. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's been a while, but at least we know the job. We understand it, and some of the jobs we say, "Oh boy, this is tough," but it's got to be done. Right. Right. So you start working at an actual McDonald's, doing everything there. How, how did it progress from there? Well, as uh, the, the more that I, the more the work that I worked, the more that I, I really liked it. You know, I when I went to the University of New Hampshire, I, I thought I, I wanted to be a basketball coach, baseball coach, some kind of coach. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like something I would really enjoy. I love love athletics and so forth. And 
And the more I got into it, I realized, hey, wait a minute, that's what I am. I'm a coach. I have the opportunity to do it. I have the opportunity to lead. I work with a lot of people. And so it seemed like, wow, this this might be a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so did, have you been with McDonald's since that point that you got that job in, in uh, college? Imagine that. My <laughs> It's unheard of these my days. My dead-end job that's <laughs> now 55 years old or something like that. Oh, and, my uh, goodness. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. Wow. That, that really is incredible. So, so at the time that you started working at uh, McDonald's in college, um, who, who owned that McDonald's and kind of how did you progress to where you are today? Sure thing. I, I work for two partners, uh, Gene Colley and Rick McCoy. Gene mm-hmm. uh, lived in New York, still does live in New York, and Rick McCoy lived in uh, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had a, a, a partnership and they had one restaurant at the time at Salem, New Hampshire, and this was their second The first one uh, in Salem was kind of slow taking off, didn't do a whole lot. The second one, however, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Newington actually, was right across from Pease Air Force Base. And boy, oh boy, did that (laughs) sucker take off. It was amazing. So I was in the right place at the right time, and the good Lord just put me there for a reason, apparently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, did you, uh, while you were in college, after you graduated, did you move into corporate or how did that work? Did you manage the store? How did that all work? Yeah, I, I actually um, actually continued to work from uh, the, the very first level of crew kid all, all the way up and I got promoted to different positions in the restaurant all the way up to general manager and and then eventually uh, to area supervisor, director of operations. And and I, I, I don't like to admit this publicly, but I didn't graduate. Really? I left... <laughs> The University of New Hampshire, my only graduate degree is Hamburger University, <laughs> but doggone it, it worked for me. I was going to say, I, you, you have a success story nonetheless. <laughs> so it was, that was the toughest thing I ever had to tell my dad was, <laughs> you aren't going to believe this, but here's what I think I'm going to do. Yeah. So explain to our listeners that don't understand, how does one come to own a McDonald's and, and what does that ownership look like? Um, you know, it's we are we are franchisees of, of McDonald's, and uh, so we pay a lot of rent. And we pay service fee for for support that they give us, and we pay advertising that that is done on a national level as well as a local level. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of independence in terms of things that you can do, but there's also a ton of controls. A lot of people, entrepreneurs, have trouble with that. And frankly, we have trouble with that from time to time. We'll mm-hmm. hear something come down the pike and go, "That doesn't make sense." <laughs> Um, But you have to adapt and you have to do things properly. And their system has been fantastic. Their support has been fantastic. And uh, I I wouldn't want to operate a restaurant that said Moulton's. Mm -hmm. I'd prefer to operate one that says McDonald's. (laughs) So when you, um, you know, kind of made your way up in general manager, area supervisor, and you continued to work for the gentleman that owned the franchise, how many did they own at the point, you know, mid-80s? Uh, mid-80s, when I left them, uh, we had 58 restaurants. 58. A huge, it was a huge organization, and, and it was it was really great. Mm-hmm. The experience that I got was just unbelievable mm-hmm. because I got to open all those restaurants. We traveled all over New England. We we uh, just opened so many pe- so many restaurants and, and hired so many people. Uh, and, and the proudest thing that I'm most proud of today is many of those people, believe it or not, are still there working in the system, working for McDonald's. And and I know that a lot of those foundational folks mm-hmm. are making good things happen at McDonald's to this day. Mm-hmm. So in the mid 80s, when you had an opportunity, you know, you, you had made it into the, the corporate side of this company. Why'd you take the leap? Why'd you decide, you know what, I think I want to go into ownership myself? You know, it's one of those situations where you say, I, I, I want to look at the longer term. I, I had a good job, I had good pay, good benefits, but I just said I, I need something solid to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 as a matter of fact, I originally, my original thought was to see if I could purchase uh, a bigger share. I, the two partners allowed me to buy 10% of a couple of restaurants, and, mm-hmm. and that was a really good start. Mm-hmm. That, that was, uh, you know, the foundation for my company later on, and I tried to actually up the ante a little bit to see if I could buy 50% of two or 100% of one so that I really had something to hold on to. And one of the partners was thumbs up and the other partner was, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, So at that point I said, okay, it's time for me to go see what's out there. And, uh, and I looked around, I had a friend in Florida who was a regional manager and he said, I got three restaurants that 
are for sale. And if you're interested, come look at them. Mm-hmm. And so when you came down to Florida to look at those three restaurants, were they all in the Polk County area or where were they? Yes, two in Winter Haven, the original on uh, 6th Street in Winter Haven and Cypress Gardens Boulevard. And the third one was in Haines City. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, when I, I, had never, I had never been uh, to the area for anything important prior to, but I had taken a vacation once before I came to Cypress Gardens. And with my young family, we stopped at the Haines City McDonald's. So I, I that one rung a bell. Mm-hmm. You'd think, Haines City, where in the world is that? <laughs> um, but but that one rung a bell. I knew what it looked like. And so I had a little feel. And, and the other two were just a huge bonus to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you really purchased one of the what a lot of people in Winter Haven think of as the iconic location. The One Arch McDonald's is what we call it in my family. But um, that one right there on Avenue D and 17 on Lake Howard, um, it really is an iconic location. Absolutely it is. And, you know, we just we're, we're, we just love that location. We've been there forever. Our office is, is right behind the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's idyllic. You know, it's, it's an iconic restaurant for McDonald's. It means a world to us. Somebody that's been in the business this long, we know the history. We know what, what McDonald's is all about. We, we know the tradition, and we want to keep it going forward. Mm-hmm. And the city of Winter Haven has been awesome to us. You know, that single arch in many, many cities would be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it truly is an American icon, and, and we're blessed that they allowed us to keep it. Yeah. And uh, we try to do the very best we can to be good partners um, with the city and, and with the county. And uh, it's just worked out great. Well, if there ever should be a grandfathered sign into the sign ordinance structure, it should be that one. Because right. it really is, um, I mean, it's a landmark. It really is a landmark. I love seeing the historic photos from when the facility first opened. And you have a lot of pictures around that arch. And then, of course, when you all celebrated your anniversary of that location. Um, and if for our listeners that haven't maybe stopped in since you renovated that facility, there's just a lot of... Uh, homage to Winter Haven within, in terms of the wall wraps and everything along those lines in the store. Yeah, exactly. We thought it was we thought it was very important, and, and again, it's part of the history, and 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 we wanted to make sure people kind of understood that. A lot of folks way 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 too young to understand, but we just thought it was important to carry it on, and we and. We've had the uh, so many wonderful experiences with people saying, "Oh, I remember that. I used to go there every Friday night," mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just been terrific for us, inside, outside, and uh, it's it's a blessing for sure. Do you have any customers that have been with you since the very beginning? We we have many, and uh, we have many, and they're recognizable faces. Matter of fact, during the pandemic, that was one of the most difficult parts. You know, we we lost a lot of those folks. They they didn't come out. They couldn't come inside. Some of them, however, would come to the parking lot, set up a, a parking uh, space, and order their coffee and sit outside and have their <laughs> coffee clatch. And we and we love that. I mean, we we always have for the many many years we've been in business. You know, it's 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 a restaurant, yes, but it's a community. And people have the opportunity to get together, and uh, and it keeps that small town feel alive, mm-hmm. and and it's a great opportunity for for some of those folks just to have companionship, and it's important to us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I think, um, at least what I perceive that you and Kim are known for, is, um, you know, it's it is a family even within your staff that you bring in your locations. And uh, your McDonald restaurants are known for their customer service, number one, your training that you give to your team. So there are so many people that their careers start at your McDonald's and they have that that customer service training that really is applicable to any career beyond there. You know, I mean, what we hear from our members are we need people with soft skills. We need people that are able to relate to customers. We need people that are able to work in a team environment. And going through working at one of your McDonald's is like a, a stamp, a gold stamp of they've been trained right. What is that like? You, you talk about being a coach. What is that like for you since, you know, the mid-80s when you have been able to bring so many people and train so many people for their future careers? Well, it, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in it. We love to do it, and, and we love to promote from within. So almost all of our staff has actually started just like we did, mm-hmm. and they worked their way up. They worked hard. They learned. They, they had the work ethic to begin with, but they also had the ambition and the hustle and the drive and 
and it's wonderful to watch. We want them to succeed. We want them to have the opportunities that we had. Mm-hmm. The, my my original boss always used to say that. I just wanted my people to have the same opportunities that I had, and and we feel the same way. Mm-hmm. We're most recently we're we're so happy that our daughter has just joined us. Um, She's worked for us for 10 years, but she's now joined us as a partner. And so we want to continue that tradition. We want to continue to build people up. And our folks are just amazing. And, boy, in these last couple of years, it's been a challenge. It's been tough. And they're right there in the front lines making things happen. And we just are so thankful to have them, to have that kind of loyalty and and professionalism. Mm -hmm. And the business is tough. It's gotten a lot, lot tougher. But... We'll get through it. We'll yeah. get through it. So what has changed? I mean, obviously, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the last couple years, because certainly a lot's changed in the last couple of years. But even, you know, since 1985, since you've kind of been um, uh, at the helm, what has changed for McDonald's in the fast food industry? Obviously, there's a lot of competition, uh, a lot of change in menu. Um, McDonald's, uh, was always a leader and always trying to add new in- innovations, new things to the, to the menu and and really kind of got to the point where they overdid it a bit to, mm-hmm. to really stress the system. So it was very, very difficult to operate. Uh, when you consider how much of our volume goes through a, a three by three window, uh, <laughs> it, that really is a challenge. And uh, the pandemic, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but that, that kind of helped to scale back a little bit and and simplify the menu a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, breakfast was added. Uh, many people think, oh, McDonald's always had breakfast. Well, I was there when Egg McMuffin started, which is 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, it's hard, hard to believe, and we cooked one or two at a time, and mm-hmm. now I'm telling you, we, we sell a whole bunch of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love the Egg McMuffins. <laughs> They're yeah. delicious. Breakfast is actually one of my favorite things that McDonald's has, you know? I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I'm a breakfast eater every day. I, I, I shop the restaurants to make sure that, to see what our customers see, and, mm-hmm. and I can I can see it. it's about service times, but it's about service ex- experience. It's about the quality of the food, and we, we're in the restaurants all the time. You have to be if you really want to get a feel and know what's going on can't do it from a distance. You can't do it from an office. You, you got to be there shoulder to shoulder. God bless my wife and daughter who are there every single day making things happen. Wow. And and when we talk about training, that's where it is because mm-hmm. you see things, you hear things, and you can coach and correct on the spot. You got to be on the sidelines if you want your team to win. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, I think one of the challenges that would come with owning a franchise that's as popular as McDonald's is that there is you're constantly being compared to other experiences that they've had across the country, across the world. Um, because that's the whole um, uh, niche of McDonald's or any sort of franchise is consistency. And so what's that? I mean, do people share feedback with you? Do customers share feedback with you? Oh, do they share <laughs> feedback with us? Yes, they do. And uh, and when we drop the ball, they certainly let us know. And that's okay. Yeah. We're yeah. good with that because when they share that, we can go back, we can take a look, we can try to figure out what happened and how it happened yeah. and try to coach better so it doesn't happen again. Um, and the consistency, that's that's a good part of the system that McDonald's has provided. So if we follow the system, we got a real good shot, a real good start uh, out of the blocks. And then it's up to execution. And as big a business as it is, it's one customer at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it whether you're the first in line, the fifth in line, or the 300th customer you serve that day, that one customer is critical to the entire operation. Mm-hmm. You know, one key fumble, the game's over. Right, right. So, you know, you guys, um, you and Kim are very transparent about your ownership of the restaurants, which I think is very good. I mean, you, I remember seeing signs on the drive through that say this restaurant is proudly owned, you know, and... Um, so you almost are inviting people to provide you feedback. And then it also puts that stamp on it that we are here. We're locally owned and operated this restaurant. We reinvest in this community. Right. We, and, and we think that's important. And, uh, you know, we're, we don't look for accolade, personal accolades or anything like that. But we want people to know that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not a giant corporation. We're a couple of individuals who have worked hard, saved our money, and, and tried to invest uh, for the benefit of our business. You know, if if we don't fail, if we fail, mm-hmm. somebody else will take our place and they'll run that business. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a possibility that could happen, but uh, hopefully it's pretty slim. <laughs> uh, but we want people to know we're here and we we love this community. We've been operated here for more than 35 years, and we hope 
there will be many, many more to come. Mm-hmm. And and the community is so important. I, we we talked to many operators in very, very different places. And in my previous McDonald's life, you know, I operated in the city of Boston and New York City and in the country of Vermont and all over. And I can tell you that this community is the small town America that we just love. We, th- it, we thrive on it. It feels good. We know a lot of our customers. And we may not know them all by name, but we certainly know them by face. Mm-hmm. And, of course, many we know by name and they're friends. Mm-hmm. And that's important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's that's something that's so important for people to understand. And even at the Chamber of Commerce, we deal with it sometimes where we have, um, you know, small businesses that criticize us for for promoting a, a brand name. And then you sit down and you say, well, you know, that's owned by so-and-so and they, you know, they own one or two and they have basically opened their own business. They've just paid a massive marketing package uh, to come along with that. But it is still that locally owned and operated and still reinvesting, you know, sponsoring the Little League teams, donating to a lot of charitable causes and training, providing jobs for the local economy. Exactly. And 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 that's part of the business that we love so much. And we, we identify with the small owner operators. We identify with the, with the folks that have one or two restaurants and uh, that work their butts off every single day to, to make, a, make a good living and, and be able to provide a living for their employees. It, it means a lot. And, and we identify that with that a lot more than a lot of folks would, would imagine because that's our life. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We, you know, the scale is a little bit larger. We've, we've probably employed about 30,000 employees wow. in our 35-year history. And um, that's a lot of folks coming through the training. We, we call it America's <laughs> f- best first job, and uh, mm-hmm. that's a lot of folks that have gone through there. A lot of them reach back to us today to say, hey, it really was a wonderful experience. We still love the, the experience that we had. We remember you guys, and, and I've gone on to do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and you know it, that fulfills us. Yeah, that's got to be incredibly powerful to hear people's stories of where they were able to go uh, after working within your organization. So um, how many restaurants are you guys up to now? We are at five. Okay. Uh, yep. We have three in, in Winter Haven, one in Dundee, and one in Polk City on uh, exit 44. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're spread out a little bit with that one, but uh, it's a great size for us. Mm-hmm. We've had more in the past. We've, we bought and sold restaurants. We try to right-size our business. We, frankly, we had about nine stores at one point, and we were not happy with the way we were running them. Mm-hmm. We were not happy with the fact that we didn't have that personal touch. We, we didn't know the people the way that we should know them, and it just wasn't working for us. And the best thing we ever did was right-size where we are today, mm-hmm. where we've, we've got a much better handle. Wow. That's, you know, that not everybody would do that. And I think that speaks to, to how important that quality is for, for Kim and yourself to make sure that you know, you are providing good customer service, you are providing quality food, and that you have that. You know, there are there are entrepreneurs out there that want to create an empire, right? They sure. just want to keep adding and adding and adding. But for you to say, you know what? No, we have a right number. We want to make sure that everything's going on. Was that a hard decision? What was that it, dinner conversation like? <laughs> it, it, you know, frankly, the dinner conversation w- got a whole lot easier because we were <laughs> we were both on the same page, and we usually are. Uh, so, so that piece was okay. And you know, we always look over the fence and we go, "Oh, maybe, maybe we should consider." Uh, what about? And then we come back to the reality to say, "You know what? If we, if if it's going to affect us at all on the on the negative side." We just shouldn't do it. You know, we, we, and there are a lot of folks today, boy, this business has gotten a whole lot tougher. I think that's one of the reasons that it helps us even more today to say, I'm, I'm glad we did what we did because running five restaurants is really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And to run 10 yeah. is a stretch. Yeah. To run 15, 20, or many more. And many of our, many of our friends do that. Mm-hmm. God bless them for being able to do it. And they have great <laughs> organizations, and that's what makes it work. But where we are, we're pretty comfortable, and we still know we have so much to do on a day-to-day basis to run them the way that we want to. Mm-hmm. But we're going to fight our way through these challenges, and we're going to get that job done. So 
talking a little bit about even even before the pandemic, I feel like the change within the fast food industry, you know, there's always been change. There's always been, you know, new technology. Uh, certainly McDonald's has done a lot of spaghetti on the wall and trying different things throughout at least through your 35 years of, hey, we're going to try this new tofu, whatever. I mean, did they they do try new and different things, but I feel like change has certainly been accelerated over the last decade in the fast food industry. You know, what has that change been like? What have the technology changes been and how has that impacted your commitment to customer service and to making sure that people are still having those experiences as McDonald's evolves? Uh, you know, on, on the technology side, I, I sat on the technology committee for McDonald's for a number of years, and and it, it's so important to us. And today, we're so technology-driven, it's it's frightening sometimes mm. um, to the point that I can't open the restaurant. <laughs> My technology doesn't work. I cannot open the restaurant. And boy, if you talk about frustrating— Right. Fortunately, that doesn't happen very often, but but it's it's that intense. Um, the other side of that is it has to be more efficient for us, and McDonald's has to have a face. It has to have a face. It has to have a smile. I don't care how good the technology is or bad it is, um, and that's a piece that we cannot lose. And that's what we work on every day. And it's a, I promise you, it's a struggle every day. But mm-hmm. by golly, we're going to keep at it until we get it as good as we can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of products, they'll bring products in and take products out, and sometimes we just shake our head and go, "Oh my gosh, we need three." <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> we need three different types of lettuce for what reason? Right. You know? right. Uh, and and but and our crew, we we we've got to we've got to do a better job for them so that their jobs are easier, uh, and they can and set them up for success to mm-hmm. to make really good quality products for every customer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the industry and certainly, um, again, even before COVID, now even amplified after the pandemic about how so many um, uh, restaurants and different types of businesses are going to automation. You know, you can go even even Publix, who most people thought they would never go to self checkout has started to roll out slowly self-checkout. You see the kiosks at, at some of the McDonald's now. How has that been like for you as someone who's been around for 50 plus years in this industry? And what are the pros and cons in your mind of something like that? Uh, again, I, I have a lot of interest in the technology side and, and what's happening. As a matter of fact, in 2001, we were the first group to introduce kiosks mm. and handheld order takers in our, in our stores. Uh, we opened the restaurant up in uh, Haines City at the Dunes, and, and we had both both technologies. And we pretty much developed them on our own on the side because mm. McDonald's wasn't quite ready to do it. And we felt the need for a couple of reasons. One was the society was moving cashless, and mm-hmm. we couldn't handle cashless. We couldn't take credit cards. And, and uh, so that was, really? the, yeah, that, was, that was the primary motivation to do it. In the early 2000, late 90s, 2001. early 2000s? Really? We, we opened a week before 9-11, and, uh, and boy, oh boy, that was that was an experience in itself. However, uh, but that was the primary motivation to do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people look at that and say, oh, they're, they're just trying to cut jobs. Not not the truth. Right. As a matter of fact, we added jobs when we, when we added all those technologies mm-hmm. and or we shifted because if you have the capacity to take more orders more rapidly – yeah, need more people in the kitchen to make the product, and oh, yeah. so it's it, it it's totally different than what you'll hear on the media and so on and so forth. In in the real world, it's if you want to do it right, mm-hmm. you need to add some jobs. We we've never run higher labor costs than we are these days. Mm. Uh, it just takes more to handle it. It mm-hmm. just takes more to handle it. Mm-hmm. So. Talk, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. So you and, um, you know, I'm most familiar with your Avenue D store because I'm, you know, across the street from it. So right. I see it a lot and and um, it is always busy. I mean, there is not a time of day, I feel like, where that store doesn't have a line, sometimes backed onto 17, but it doesn't have a line going through it. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, January, February, and then bam, March 2020 hits. And everybody had to pivot. Talk a little bit about those pivots that you had to make. And obviously, you're not you're making local decisions, but you're also beholden to how the corporation is also reacting to the pandemic. So, talk a little bit about how that's had an impact on you. Yeah, that was uh, obviously the uh, the most 
unique situation in our lifetime in business, and 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 it it's ongoing today. Um, but boy, that pivot was amazing to say. Guess what? You got to close the inside of the restaurant, and and the, the very first thought that we had is, we've got to keep our employees safe, and and if we can do that, we can keep our business open. We can run, and thank goodness we have drive-throughs, and uh, and drive-throughs are allowed to to operate. Uh, we were able to feed a lot of people, uh, whereas other people, there were no other uh, sources for folks to to get food outside of the outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really had to immediately take whatever steps we could to, to make it safe for the employees. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge to this day. Uh, fortunately, we were able to do it. And one of our one of the very first things we did is close the inside of the restaurant. We, we, we could control our environment that way. And we knew that who was inside was safe, was healthy, and, uh, and we didn't have a, a concern for spread of, the, of a virus mm-hmm. from that standpoint. That helped us immensely. A lot of, a lot of restaurants stayed open, so they allowed the public to still come in. They couldn't eat there, but they could come and order there. Well, guess what? You just lost a whole bunch of your environment because mm-hmm. those folks are going to come. They're going to be at the counter. They're going to, if, if, and many, many folks didn't even have any symptoms and they could spread the disease to your employees. Mm-hmm. They're going to use the restrooms. There's all kinds of caveats that are wide open at that mm-hmm. point. So that was the first decision we made. And it was kind of unpopular with our customers, but it just had to be done. And as much as we hated to do it, we did. Now, you know, when we when we first spoke, um, you know, I think we both had a uh, really a lot of confidence that we were moving past it. Right. I mean, we you know, every everything was going in the right direction and vaccines were were on the rise. And, um, you know, since we spoke, the Delta variant has reared its ugly head. Have you guys had to adjust back to any of the past stuff or how have you managed with the Delta variant? Uh, yeah, well, and you're 100 percent right. We we thought we're, Ooh, we're, we're coming out the other <laughs> side. We're, we're going to be OK. And uh, and we are going to be OK. Mm-hmm. But. For sure, uh, there's a swing back in the other direction, and yes, we've had to we've had to make some changes. And the good news is, fortunately, most uh, I would say most of the folks in our community have been been vaccinated, so that helps a lot. And mm-hmm. and, the, and the death threat is much reduced from where it was before. And and if you can get the vaccine, haven't had it yet, please do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if you're if you have any compromising situation, it, it's it's for you. It's mm-hmm. for you and, and everybody else. But um, but the, the the good news side is that we've learned from the past the things that we need to do. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is our contra- uh, our uh, um, protocol for uh, contact uh, of the folks that have that have been exposed has escalated through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of today, we probably have about ten percent of our workforce mm-hmm. that's out mm-hmm. on contact tracing. They don't have any. They don't have any symptoms. They don't have the disease, but Uncle Johnny had it. My sister-in-law right. had it. Right. Uh, you know, I passed somebody in the hospital who had it. And so there's a lot of the workforce is not there. And, and a good percentage of the critical workforce that is there every single day and or manage our restaurants every day. Mm-hmm. And and there's no choice. They have to stay out right. of the business. I would say that's one of the biggest challenges our entire uh, community is dealing with right now. And I think even um, Sheriff Judd said last week on a press conference, he has over 50 uh, officers that are out, um, which, I mean, he has a lot of officers, but 50, I mean, you think of 50 and those are ones that either, uh, those I think are the ones that just even were out with COVID or at least had been exposed by a close family member with COVID. Um, and then it's deciding what to do. I mean, you obviously have protocols that have been put in place um, that meet the needs of your workforce, but how long do you stay home? Do you go and get tested? Do you do that? And it's, it's a little bit different than last year. It was just, you knew kind of what what you had to do, but it's different from business to business. And um, it's just a different environment than it used to be. But so many of our businesses are dealing with the exact same thing. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and there's no clear science. There's no clear science. It, it, that That's the frustrating part for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do everything that you think is right, but right. who knows if it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, we, we've had a number of folks most recently that thought they had the symptoms, thought they might be infected, They've been tested. They test negative um, time and time again, and come. And, and what's happening a little more often, it seems, and at least from our standpoint, is 
they have bronchitis, they have pneumonia, they have something other than COVID. But the first thing in mind, of course, is COVID. Absolutely. And what you ha- and you got to protect against it. You exactly. just absolutely do. Exactly. Well, you know, it it makes us a little more conscious about. I mean, how many times did all of us? go to work when we had the sniffles or we had it sore throat. And we probably still got other people sick with obviously much less serious things, but it does make you much more self-aware. Right, for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just really shouldn't uh, shouldn't go, or even if it is just allergies, let me just go get tested and um, and even just making sure that testing is readily available for everyone. So so I want to pivot a little bit um, to talk a little bit about your, your love of Mickey D's here. So tell me, what is your favorite thing that's ever been on the menu? Uh, let's see. I'm a quarter pounder guy, you know, on a regular <laughs> basis, I'm a quarter pounder guy and, and we might add some bacon here or there, but, uh, that's really is my favorite. But mm. every now and then the old Big Mac comes to mind and I gotta have one. Yeah. Has there ever been anything on the menu that you did not like? Can you say this? Has there ever been anything on the menu that you did not like? Uh, I got to tell you that the, a million years ago we sold a McDLT mm. and the hot side hot and the cold side cold and the taste was awful. Oh, really? That was my personal <laughs> opinion. But uh, it came and went pretty rapidly. The customers figured that out, right. didn't buy them, and there you have it. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a favorite marketing campaign through the years? Uh, that one's easy. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> I'm loving it. A lot of people sing that to you throughout the years. Yeah, we've heard it many, many times. <laughs> I drive my family nuts. So uh, what is the one thing that you would want customers to know about the specific stores that you own? Uh, I, I think the, I think what we want them to know most is how much we appreciate their business. We, we don't take anybody's business for granted. We, we really, really appreciate everybody from the, the person that, that comes in with a coupon and, and pays a dollar for $10 worth of food and the person that comes in and has a $50 order for the Little League team. We appreciate every single visit, every single person. And our goal is our goal is to have them walk away satisfied, realizing that maybe they got pretty good service and they got good value for their money, and and that they'll come back. That's that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. It's not about times. It's not about temperatures. I mean, sometimes we'll get that. You know, all, all, you, all you care about is the time on the clock. I could give a hoot about the time on the clock. What I give a hoot about is serving as many customers as I can as quickly as possible and to make them smile and want to come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, as proof to the loyal customers that you have at the stores for the length of time that you have owned the stores here in the Polk County community and that you continue to grow speaks volumes to the quality restaurateurs that you and Kim and now your daughter are in this community. And and frankly, the number of jobs you have reinvested time and time again in, in not just the Winter Haven community, but in the surrounding areas as well. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it really is a two-way street. And we love, like I say before, we, we truly love our communities. We're, we have... At all of our restaurants, uh, if you're standing in the right place at the right time, you can look out and you can see a lake. Really, at or, every single or one. a large body of water, <laughs> uh, but mostly a lake. And 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 we pinch ourselves every time we walk outside of our office or we stand in the back of the parking lot at Sixth Street, in particular, look at Lake Howard, and and just say, this just is to us the most gorgeous place on the face of the earth. And yeah. and we're blessed to be able to run a business here. Holy mackerel, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's all part of that community feel and what we love about it. And and our, as our community grows, we 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 just want to be part of it. We want people to 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 uh, accept that same thing and say, I want I want to give a little something to my community and keep it just like it is. Mm-hmm. Well, Winter Haven is certainly blessed to have the Moulton family and your investment in the community. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Gary. Well, we thank you and uh, God bless America and God bless Winter Haven. It's the best little town anywhere around. I agree completely. (laughs) Stay with us for more after a word from our sponsors.
Dr. Todd Procknow is a board-certified and fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who for the last 20 years has been providing expert diagnosis and treatment for a broad array of musculoskeletal issues. Dr. Procknow is a graduate of the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine and undertook his residency training at Mount Clemens General Hospital in Michigan. He thereafter completed fellowship training in orthopedic spine surgery at Vanderbilt University Hospital in Nashville. He now practices at Advent Health Medical Group in Davenport and Lake Wales. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I always like to start this by learning a little bit more about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up here in Polk County. Yeah, great question. Um, I'm actually uh, not fresh out of school. So moving around uh, in the middle of my practice has been an interesting uh, part of my life for sure. Um, but coming to Polk County, I mean, at least now I, I bring some experience too. But I started in uh, Michigan, born and raised and uh, did med school at Michigan State and uh, stayed in state in my hometown of Monroe um, for the good portion of 15 years and then uh, decided to have a life change. And uh, my kids moved um, to the south and I wanted to be closer. And uh, ultimately through what CHS, um, I transferred to this central uh, Florida location, and uh, I don't plan on going anywhere. Well, moving to Florida is never a bad decision, if I do say so. (laughs) No, I I would agree. I think um, I loved the seasons in Michigan, um, and I do miss them, uh, except for winter. And um, but I love, I love the South. It's been, um, it's been a pleasure. And as I get older, I'm appreciating it more, um, that, uh, the joints don't ache as much and I'm able to move around a little better than I was in the past. Well, and no shoveling snow out of your driveway here. So. <laughs> no, exactly. But I, I will say I do miss it. And I would, uh, my next vacations are actually now snow related. So it's odd how you go through these uh, shifts in life. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about your medical practice. What kind of physician are you and what are the areas that you specialize in? Sure, absolutely. I um, I kind of just from the beginning, I was a general orthopedic surgeon. I enjoyed all facets of the, uh, of the business and uh, I didn't want to miss out on one thing or another. So I tried to do it all. And it, it's hard to do that. Um, for the most part. So I kind of specialized in spine surgery. I went to Nashville and did a fellowship and uh, for the most part did some spine with the general practice for a long time. Um, But I've moved out of the spine realm now and I'm I'm, I'm true-blooded general orthopedic surgeon. So trauma, sports medicine, pediatrics, um, adult reconstruction, uh, you name it. I I try try to do it. There are some things that I just don't have the experience with and then I just choose to not do because I'm too uncomfortable with it. But for the most part, I can see anybody that comes into the office and if they don't fall in my, in my hat, then I can uh, at least refer them to somebody who um, has more experience than I do. And so what are the most common types of injuries or issues that you diagnose? Sure. The, um, my favorite uh, is shoulder uh, problems. So out of all the general things, I, I try to, uh, uh, well, I don't try to, I guess I just have the most fun practicing uh, shoulder uh, problems. So I would say that's number one in, in my practice. And then, you know, the carpal tunnel is just something that everybody seems to get as they get older. And so that's a, a very common problem. Uh, in Central Florida here, you can't get away without seeing arthritis. Um, so arthritis is a, a huge um, issue with many people, and I see all joints, shoulders, hips, knees from an arthritis standpoint. Um, uh, unfortunately, a, a good portion of my practice is also trauma because of call. So anything that comes through the emergency room from an injury, um, I tend to see, and that you know, is a good portion of my practice as well. So for the things that you normally see in office, what are the most common treatment options for arthritis and and shoulder? I know it probably varies a little bit. Those are two separate parts of the body there. But what are those most common treatments? 
No, for sure. I mean, I think in general, if you just look at it from the big picture, you always want to go from, you know, the minimal things to the larger things. And so um, almost all initiating treatments are non-operative and it usually requires some type of maybe an anti-inflammatory if you're dealing with swelling or inflammation such as arthritis or tendonitis. And then uh, probably one of the biggest treatment options that gives me the most success in the office are steroid injections. They um, are to the point, they're uh, very potent, and they provide fast relief. So from a patient standpoint, it's comforting to know that perhaps I can see them and then the next day I feel better perhaps. Um, So, And then once you go from there, if they're failing treatment, now you have to consider more aggressive types of things such as physical therapy or occupational therapy. And then ultimately we start diagnosing things and and considering surgery if necessary. Yeah. And I think that's important that you mentioned that there really is a sliding scale in terms of the treatment options that it isn't necessarily surgery right away, depending on where they might be in the course of their uh, ailment. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. And I'm, I'm a fairly conservative physician in that I'd like to avoid surgery if possible. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not avoidable, but uh, I think you try to do all these things um, before surgery just because it's worth it. Um, you know, but people are smart, too. And so they, they tend to come in, you know, many months after something has begun because they did go through all of that on their own. And they try to avoid seeing us or me and and, uh, and, and the hassle that it could be sometimes. And so um, for the most part, patients are really good about doing some of these things on their own. Mm-hmm. So what are some good low-impact activities that won't aggravate joint pain, but they can help with mobility? And so especially in orthopedics, right, we, we advise uh, mobility and, and activity as a hallmark because the body does better when it's moving. And so unfortunately, there are many ailments that, that affect, you know, how you do your normal life. So uh, obviously avoiding uh, aggravating activities is probably primary, and that's just a common sense approach, although it's hard because it's something that we're used to. But if you avoid doing things that, say, for instance, lifting overhead if you have a shoulder problem or kneeling if you have a knee problem, um, a lot of that can be helpful and resolve those issues. But exercise in general, before you get into a therapist's office, um, I think because of our um, Climate, uh, pool activity is probably a very um, large part of what I try to prescribe. It keeps keeps the, the body and the joints lightweight and the demand less, but you're still getting the vigorous muscle uh, movement as well as joint movement that's required. Um, I think walking is, is probably the next primary thing. Um, we take it for granted. I think uh, people say they walk all the time, but it's the extra stuff that counts. So if if you live your life and you don't exercise, that's your activity of every day. If you do more than that, such as take a mile walk in in the evening or in the morning, that's the extra exercise that we're looking for. And then one thing that's overlooked that is um, hard to do, but very important is stretch. Um, We just, we just get tighter and tighter and tighter every day. And uh, us old folks know that as we look back at our life, what we used to do then compared to now. So it's just, you know, part of an approach that I think you have to set your mind to and and start stretching. And it really makes a huge difference for every part of the body. Yeah, it's finding that time. I think so many of us are in a rush, rush, rush. You think, oh, I have 30 minutes that I can work out, right? And you think, oh, 10 minutes of stretching is going to carve into that. But it is so important. It's almost, uh, from what I understand, one of the most beneficial things that you can do in terms of the exercise is great, but the stretching really is where you get a lot of the benefit from that. Yeah, benefits and not to mention prevention, right? So, I mean, uh, uh, if you can stretch before you're doing something, I think you do put your body in a better position to prevent injury. And so prevention is part of the, the solution to a lot of our issues. Mm-hmm. So what you mentioned, you're very passionate about, you know, shoulder injuries and being able to help people manage through sh- shoulder injuries. 
what do you find is the most fulfilling part of your job? Yeah, so if we're just talking about shoulders, as we spoke previous, previously with the injections, you know, um, for the most part, the most common problems in the shoulder are tendonitis or bursitis. So overuse, we get busy, we just do too much, we paint our ceilings, whatever whatever it is, and then and then all of a sudden we have pain. And so that particular problem is very amenable to steroid injections. And so if somebody comes in, they don't have any injury or trauma, but some overuse type of pain, and I provide an injection to a specific spot, the next day they're feeling better. And, and especially with shoulder problems, you have poor sleep. And once that's usually what drives people into my clinic is I can't sleep anymore. And so once they can get a good night's sleep and their shoulders feel, I mean, it's hard to beat that. I mean, it's, it's a very simple thing for me, but, uh, you know, difficult for them to go through. But the in- injection really makes a huge difference. So I, I enjoy that the most for sure. Mm-hmm. Sounds like seeing people with that that relief, whatever it might be, whether the solution is an injection or the solution is surgery and physical therapy, that relief of people not being in pain anymore and a pain that they've probably lived with for a while because we all tend to put off going to the doctor when we shouldn't. (laughs) So we we grind our teeth and we kind of work through things until it becomes a problem, which we should not do, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's the human nature. So, and and you're right. I mean, I think that's, That's the simple solution portion of it. But, you know, anybody that has to undergo surgery, unfortunately, you know, their lives are are changed for a period of time and it's very challenging. But, you know, after the relationship that we create over a period of time and the multiple visits, at the end of the day, when they're when they're not being seen anymore and they're back to their jobs or normal activity, it's, it's very gratifying. I think that goes for any specialty in medicine. But from an orthopedic standpoint, it's just nice to, you know, when people can do what they enjoy again, um, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Procknell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing a little bit about you as well as your practice. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I had a, a nice time and um, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. Of course. Thank you. We'd like to welcome and thank Mahalik Auto Group for sponsoring season two of our podcast. This family-owned and operated business was first founded in 1966 in Michigan by Ralph Mahalik Sr. The family opened Winter Haven Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram in 1991 and continued to expand in Polk County, now owning three additional dealerships at Posner Park, in Lake Wales, and Alfa Romeo Fiat of Winter Haven. Not only are their teams dedicated to finding you the perfect vehicle, but they are also focused on building a strong relationship with the community and treating their buyers like family. Find your new ride for 2021 and learn more at www.lowpaymentkings.com. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Gary Moulton with McDonald's, and Dr. Todd Procknow with Advent Health. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hoped you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.